journeyman chronicles my name is felix c arroyo i am the host i am the journeyman i am here to present to you episode 55 i hope you've had a great week i hope you got some work done i thought uh maybe speaking positively uh to start this episode off to start the uh interview off would kind of get uh kind of get us back into the groove of things if you will something i like to do i like to uh speak uh truth into things but also uh, affirmation positivity things of that nature to get us going we don't want to start off monday on a bad foot who who does uh you know a lot of people don't like mondays but really you got to think about it this way monday is the beginning of the week in which you dominate so monday you got to go hard uh and for those of you that have an awkward schedule you know a sunday through thursday a tuesday through saturday you know i used to work tuesday through saturday so your Monday isn't necessarily a traditional Monday. Maybe this is your off day. Well, then just pretend I'm talking about Tuesday. So Tuesday morning when you listen to this podcast, there, there's your Monday morning motivation. Listen, I got a nice little setup here. I'm, uh, I'm doing this in my wife's office. We we got her an office set up in our home. And um I'm kind of digging the vibes a little bit. It's a, it's a nice, uh, nice mustard yellow sofa. I don't know where the camera is. It's right here behind me anyway. Well, it looks really nice and tranquil. I decided to do this monologue recording in here. So uh, I hope you enjoy the uh, the video content that I'm producing. Um, it's a lot of work, but I'm loving it. I'm, I'm actually loving what I'm doing, and I hope... Um, that you're loving what you're doing. If you're doing something you don't love right now and you're stuck in a mix, look, I was there. I was there and I decided to make a jump and I'm not really talking about the podcast per se. It it is, but it's also, you know, my full-time job. It's not a bad full-time job. It's a good gig. I work for Tate Towers and Linnets and I'm loving what I'm doing. So with that job came flexibility and with flexibility, I was able to pour myself into this podcast a little bit more. So let's just get right into this interview because um, there's a, a lot of things going through me right now. First of all, this is it's, this is the first interview that I'm presenting since the end of December, but it's the last interview that I recorded in December, if that makes any sense. I spoke with Ethan A. Poetic. He came by my house at the end of December, uh, and we had a great conversation. And then, of course, everything took place in my life after the holidays but I've been holding on to this interview because obviously I wanted to present it. And here we are. There is no video content for this episode. I started doing video content uh, about a month ago. So here's my monologue. We're going to go into the video, uh, or excuse me, the audio portion of the podcast, but it's still going to be on YouTube. I'm still going to have it on Spotify. It's still going to be everywhere. I'm just keeping you up to date with what I'm doing after this interview. Of course you can expect video content. Nonetheless, I got to speak with Ethan. If you know Ethan A. Poetic, um, you know that the man's journey um, 
is one of a kind. Ethan survived a car accident, a big car accident, in which an 18-wheeler collided with the SUV in which he was a passenger of. He happened to be sitting on the driver's side behind the driver. The driver did not survive, along with a child. He and two others, however, did. And his survival, this is the story uh, that pretty much... um, everybody knows about it's the story of a young man who fought for his life who had a 99 percent chance of dying a one percent chance of surviving and he did and um there's so many things that he's doing right now Uh, I, i know some of it was already in the works prior to the accident um but it seems like the accident and his surviving really gave him uh you know a fire to to grind and to get uh, things done to do his job, to do his dream, to uh, um, do things without any worry of of what life is going to bring to you, because he's already survived so much. Um, he's in the middle of promoting his book right now, in which he gave me. So of course, I'm going to put the link for that book in this episode, along with all of his other information. Um, and like I said, you know, Ethan's already a well known guy. It's not like. I'm putting him on the map with this podcast. If anything, I'm just helping shine the light a little bit more on a wonderful journey. Uh, And I hope that Ethan continues doing what he's doing. Obviously, I don't have any video content like I mentioned, but we're going to be able to rock and roll nonetheless. So this is episode 55. This is Ethan's journey. And these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Let's go. Your story is a well-known story. This isn't this isn't the first interview you've done, I'm sure. And uh, your story is, is a well-known. So I'm not doing anything really new here except just getting to know you for myself and also for my listeners uh, for my podcast, um, which is pretty much just interviewing everyday people from the area that are doing big things and what was their journey to get to where they are. So when I stumbled upon your story... I was like, wow. And then to see what you're doing now, I appreciate you um, kind of accepting the message and, and coming by because that doesn't really happen often for me. Usually I have to kind of get to know people a little bit more. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I know you're a busy guy. You're very welcome. So let's get to know you first because there's obviously your, your journey. Um, it, it's big. There's a lot that I, I, would, I would like to get into. But one of the things that intrigued me before we get into that is you have a unique name. Your your name is Ethan Vaughn, but you also go by Ethan Poetic, or is that something that yeah, you just started? Yeah, that's my started? new last name. Yeah. Uh, start summer of 2021, where it was legally changed to Lancaster County Court. Oh, because okay. Because the Vaughn last name goes back to the German slave master in Cambridge, Maryland, which is where my late grandfather's from. Was that something that you were always aware of that you wanted to do? I, I wasn't aware of that situation. It's just so many people didn't talk about that side of history. I became curious in my own right and start researching it. Took the ancestry test in 2018, I believe. Okay. And from there, just start researching and researching and then start finding out I was related to certain people that I knew. Oh, really? Yeah. In the area or? or? Uh, in the area and overseas and islands. And it's like, for example, there was two guys. 
actually three guys I went to high school with. I, I was in a transition move from one school to the other. Those three people were cousins. Okay. It wasn't until I took a DNA test that I found out I was related to all three of them because that connection with them goes back to the Lost Mountain areas, which wow. is in Garden Spot School District, even though they use a New Holland PA mailing address gotcha. and zip code. Uh, then there's this one woman I'm related to. She's one of the people who wrote a foreword to, for me. She works at Syracuse University. Her name is Catherine Garcia. And then another person who I'm related to is Jen Janetsky. She is a DA in Flintwood, Michigan. And then from there, it's just been a journey of learning more about my family history. Yeah. Going back to Puerto Rico, going back to Virginia and beyond. Was this so this took place before you decided to change your, your name legally? Yes. How was that how was that for you finding out all of these people that you were related and connected to? I've never done that, so I I, I can imagine that that's got to be a trip in its own where you like was it like a the, the the rabbit hole kept getting deeper for you where the the more you looked the the deeper you went? Yeah, I went deep to creating a family tree on both sides going back to the 1700s. Uh, like for Puerto Rico, I go I'll go to the beginning. Sure. Puerto Rico was originally founded by the Taino Indians, mm-hmm. and then Christopher Columbus and the European people took over, and then Spain eventually took over. Then they brought the Africans, and then now you have a combination of the three uh, cultures: uh, African, Taino, Taino Indians, and the Africans. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes the that's makes the origin of the Puerto Rican culture. And eventually what happened was the Spanish crown made a mistake or intentionally hit a USA territory. And that's when the United States declared war on Spain. And well, they lost and signed a treaty over uh, the island of Puerto Rico. And then there'd be a, then there was a transition of a, a Spanish consensus report to an English consensus report and that's why so many Puerto Ricans are bilingual ah. and then in the 1900s they declare all residents of Puerto Rico USA citizenships and everything else but it came with uh, loopholes and Puerto Rico wasn't trying to go out their history of making English their first language and all this other stuff and my late grandfather was one of one of many people who left the island for new opportunities here in America. Nice. And from there, you know, it separated family, but steep people still went back to the island for certain traditions and everything else. Those who stayed on the island stayed because that's all they knew, and they weren't as curious about America as they thought it was. Because the original reason why the United States wanted Puerto Rico to be all USA citizens is because. They wanted more people to choose for war. Hmm. It was give and take, but 80% of the people weren't fit for war due to all that enslavement that happened on the island. There was no economic structure. There was no growth or opportunities for people to get out of slavery unless some special circumstance happened. The 20% that did qualify to be in the army, they made tremendous differences in a lot of wars. And it got to the point where people wanted to get out of poverty. People wanted to break the cycle. And they saw the way through the United States. Hmm. This is something that you, uh, 
when you're breaking down the history like that, are you have you always been a history buff in that regard, or, or is that something you just learned when you started learning about your family? Uh, that's something I, I say both. Yeah, a combination of just learning about my family and then learning about the details. Because I always was curious about certain things, like how am I Puerto Re- mixed with Puerto Rican? Yeah, and then but I didn't. But it's not my first language. Yeah, and then I realized I didn't grow up in that culture. And I wasn't around my grandfather and that side of family growing up. Gotcha. And then I also realized, now that I know more of the Puerto Rican family within the last four years, it's, you know, I had an icebreaker with this one family, side of the family, and they welcomed me in. They live in Delaware. Oh, well, what part? Uh, Wilmington. Okay. I have family in Delaware. And then there's other people that's in New Jersey, all five boroughs in New York. And then there's also this one family that lives in Staten Island. Then this Puerto Rican family that lives in actually several Puerto Rican families that live in Texas, California, Nashville, Tennessee. Then there's Florida. Then there's Georgia. Some in North Carolina. A few in other places. These are people that you've reached out to, or yes, wow. So you've been busy reaching out to your family. Well, yeah, it was just iceberg. Like, for example, yeah. when I read my grandfather's obituary, I found out I had two aunts. Wow. I didn't even know who they were. I was able to find one. Okay. Uh, we were Facebook. And actually, yeah, I found her on Facebook. She was curious to know who I was. And I told her, I'm your nephew. You're, my dad is your brother. Wow. But they didn't have a close relationship growing up because they lived in different states. Okay. And there's a big, big age gap. And I explained to her about one situation where we did see each other, but there was no formal introduction. And it was at my dad's wedding going back to 98. And I tried to remind her, I'm the, I'm the little kid who pulled out the white car, the white thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, right. For everybody. And then I also explained to her that I didn't know who you were until I saw this obituary. And... Once I showed her the picture, that wedding picture of my dad and his parents together, that's when it clicked for her. Like, oh, I remember that day and everything else. But like some relationships, you know, it's usually hit or miss. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just be honest, she ended up ghosting me. Wow. That's unfortunate because that, that happens even with family. Even with people that you just meet that are your family. Um I guess you can't expect people to put the same amount of energy that you're willing to put into yeah. into kind of fostering a relationship, I guess. Yeah. I mean, she knows I reached out to her. Right. But ultimately, I see it as a situation of she missing out on the best thing that ever happened to her, which is getting to know your nephew. Mm. There you go. I think, uh, I think the fact that you've been putting that much energy into it shows a lot about, you know, what's important to you. Um, and I'm just getting to know you now and, and I can, I can sense that. So, you know, obviously we're talking about that. That started with the, the conversation started with, you know, you legally changed your name. Now it's Ethan poetic. And, uh, um, where's the poetic coming from? Um, I kind of did a little research, not a lot because I like to keep things organic with my guests. Um, but obviously I kind of saw there was some sort of, uh, are you doing some sort of poetry or, or speaking in public in well, regards to, to that or, or no? Well, what ended up happening was just 
a lot of things. It's just once I found out the last name Vaughn didn't really belong to me, I'm like, what type of identity is this? And I think back to the movement of Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali when they changed their names. Mm. And they were already great before they changed their name. And they literally left their mark. And then as I'm in this van with this guy and we're driving, I realize I need to change my last name. Then I remember this one woman wrote on Facebook. You know, she suggested it like poetic because I do poetry, poems, songs, special speeches that I do when I was just more in the writing phase, not in the speaking phase. It wasn't until I broke the broke my own ice with doing the Puerto Rican I walked in the Puerto Rican parade and I spoke at the Puerto Rican parade. That was the summer of two thousand ten. That's on my YouTube channel. Nice. And once I, you know, decide, you know, this is something I really want to do. Change my name, last name, keep my first name, keep my middle name. What's your middle name? Alexander. Okay. Sometimes I joke around and say Alexander the Great. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, the first name Ethan comes from Ethan Trowery because he has a twin name, Eric Trowery. My parents were never together. Okay. It was just a situation where my dad already was with a woman. Okay. And when my mom was with him, as far as behind closed doors, um, based on what people told me is that she told her parents that I'm pregnant with this man and I'm going to have this baby. And I, I hear this all the time. I was born on a hot Saturday. My grandparents were there at the birth and everything else. And when my mom got home, she contacted Ethan Trowery, told him to come over to her home. And, you know, based on what he told me, when I met him, finally met him in 2016, because he only met me one time, and that was back in 87 when I was a newborn baby. And basically, what he told me was, your mom just showed me showed me in the bassinet or or a playpen or whatever, and she gave dropped the bomb on him in a good way, saying... I named my son after you. Hmm. So that's how I got Ethan. And I finally did meet Ethan Trowery in 2016, where I reached out to him on Facebook. And within half an hour, he reached out to me. And then we ended up having lunch at Chili's. I picked him up and everything. I was curious to know about him just as much as he was curious to know about me. Yeah. And I con- he contacted his mom to find out where did she get the name Ethan. And she said she got it from the Bible. So you, one of the things I'm picking up while I'm I'm listening to you talk is, um, you really do like to get to the bottom of things. You don't just accept things at face value. It seems like you really would like to know the origin of said discussion, said topic, said item. It's, um, it, it means something to you. So obviously your name, the last name struck a chord with you. It meant something you were willing to then, um, change it legally. And there's so much you put behind that. So it's not like you took it lightly and it's not like the decision was made lightly. Um, so I would assume then that you, you kind of go about life, the same way are you very meticulous do you, there's a lot that you're doing and I, and I want to get into that and and, and it, it it intrigues me that you're very um you're passionate I think that's a perfect word for it would you would you say yeah so? I agree it's just I want to know things to the core if your car is breaking down and you see the signs and you're experiencing the symptoms well eventually you want to take it to the mechanic yeah 
and hopefully your car leaves better than how it arrived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much goal. that's pretty much like our life and our health. We experience signs and symptoms of certain things. Eventually, they're gonna go on Web MD or Google yeah. or talk to an elder about certain problems, and eventually, we're gonna want a solution. But I also realize at the same time, not everyone wants to be part of the solution, mm. and it's not always our responsibility to push the issue on somebody. You can suggest. But eventually, you got to let them learn the hard way. Yeah. Because that's their legacy that they'll be remembered for, not ours. Yeah, but, but ultimately, you know, when it comes to finding out things at the root cause, you get to really see things that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And for example, let's see. Oh, I could say about food. Like, we got to know what we put into our bodies at all times. Um, like, for example, now I got something. There you go. Like I see there's been a rise of skin cancer mm. in women, breast cancer in women. And I realize the cause of that is uh, some of the feminine products they're using are cancer causing. Mm. And then when it comes to the skin cancer, like, for example, a lot of corporations are using mineral oil as a moisturizer to the skin. A mineral Right. Yeah, well, what people don't realize behind, you know, that nice way of saying mineral oil, what it really is is gasoline. Yeah. Petroleum. And I looked at it like, whoa. That's why there's been a rise. And the reason why the companies or corporations are doing it because they're trying to reach that multi-billion dollar status because they're trying to keep their shareholders happy by increasing the stock value. And get a return or investment at the cost of somebody's health. Sure. But at the same time, as a customer, we don't have to do that. There's plenty of mom and pop shops that have organic makeup, which is more plant-based instead of made out of heavy metals. There's plenty of organic feminine products and organic food and drinks. It's just a matter of changing that lifestyle because some of the things we learn as kids, we continue as adulthood. We think McDonald's is really healthy when it's really not. Mm -hmm. Like, if you ever look at the ingredients list for bread, it's like almost two paragraphs. Bread is really, (laughs) yeah. That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, there's a lot lot there. Yeah, because it's just using preservatives and additive uh, ingredients to make it last that goes from the warehouse to the to the drive with the on the uh, eighteen wheeler trucks and the delivery, they make it last. Real bread is just made from yeast, flour, maybe a pinch of salt. Maybe you can add a little oil to keep the outside moisturized, and you let it rise. It might smell a little bit, but that's natural. Mm. That's how you make your pizza. That's how you make your bagels. That's how you make plenty of things that include carbs. Because when you make your stuff more organically, your body's going to be more much stronger. And it's going to show in your blood pressure, your blood count, glucose, sugar, and everything else. Is this something that you, like, I mean, you, you just gave me a whole, like, you did a report, but I'm assuming this is something that you just do to pass the time. I mean, what what, what intrigued you to look up skin cancer and, and what? Well, a lot of things, because I realized 100 years ago, there wasn't as many diagnoses like this. Yeah. But then I also look at all these commercials like, why are we promoting this 
skincare product, even though it may look nice under an HD television, it may look nice with the bright lights, yeah. a beautiful model and everything, but the reality is just the inner beauty is inside, not the product. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what some people don't understand is that all because someone's selling you a beauty product, it means a beauty product. Yeah. Because beauty was around before the alleged beauty product. There you go. So it's important to you then to uh, uh, to discuss the truth and things, uh, you know, yeah. to honor it. Yeah, I can also say for men, they have to be more careful about the deodorants they're using. It's best to use deodorant that's uh, aluminum-free, fragrance-free. Some of the deodorants they're using now, that's in like uh, certain brands, it's flammable. Wow. I did not know that. So now uh, you got me second guessing my entire uh, deodorant game right now. <laughs> it's, it's the truth because they, they it's like it's like it's like your series commercial they always tell you this pill, that pill. Yeah. All I'm seeing is a message that's a nice way to tell people to live with your trauma, wounds, scars, and your mental illness. Mm. I learned that in order to evolve in life, we have to change because we can't do what we did when we was 10 years old or 20 years old because each chapter of reaching a double-digit number is something different. Mm. You feel that people had um, better access to this information, they would make better choices? You feel that the, the, the information that you're breaking down for me right now yes. isn't readily available? Oh, it's available on the internet. Sure, but I mean, most people aren't even aware that... To, you know what I mean? Like commercialization of the other side of it is all over television it's all over radio it's in people's already psyche as opposed to the stuff that we need to know it's almost like you need to have the people who know to give you the heads up so that you can go look for it it's not so readily available in that regard i meant once you know it's there then of course it's easy to look up uh you can look at the food ingredients and the hygiene product ingredients and compare it to the united states they have higher standards. We have lower standards. And it's just, you'll be surprised at what's being allowed here compared to over there. Uh, then then the, also the truth is this. People may say organic's expensive. Right. Something that's more grass-fed is expensive. The truth is this. It's an investment for the long-term future. Because I'll tell you what's really expensive. When you got to make, keep making out-of-pocket expenses for your insurance premiums. Sure, sure. And yeah. that stuff will add up. And then your rates will go up every time you use it. Yeah. And it's, and it's not that I'm trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the reality, the truth of what's can potentially happen in the future. Because when you spend money on more organic food, grass-fed food, or something that's more homemade with love, you're going to last longer. Yeah. You'll last so long to see not only your grandchildren, but also your great-grandchildren. Yeah. And then there'll be four generations where y'all can take that picture, whether you're the elder or the middle child or the adult. Because I've seen some situations where some people, unfortunately, get to see their grandchildren for maybe three to five years and then pass away. Sure, if they're lucky to do that. Yes. Yeah. It's really just a matter of rewiring our thinking and looking at it. Like you said, there's an investment. It's when you put it in, and when you put it in that context, it begins to make more sense. Like for me, I completely understand what you're saying, but I never looked at it like that. You're, it's expensive, but it's also expensive to pay for the premiums 
the hospital visits, the co-pays that cons- that you're consistently having to pay because of the bad health that you're in, I'm assuming. So it's more like changing the way we think and how we look at things, rewiring our brain. I'm, I'm assuming that that's what you're saying. And it's obvious to me that makes sense. How do we like how do we go about really changing people's perception is it just one person at a time? Is that the approach that you have? Is it that that's a patient approach? You can do one one person at a time, one group at a time. It depends on your target audience, who's interested in it, who's interested in evolving and growing and doing better for themselves. Yeah, one of the things I remember looking up when we were when we were um, messaging each other back and forth is. Uh, you're into sports yes and um you were very athletic or you still are uh, back in high school and, and whatnot were you were you yes were you thinking of things like this the conversation of what we put into our bodies i was you, yeah because i was looking at like for example how like for example when i moved to Lancaster, it wasn't my choice we'll get into that a little later <laughs> okay because uh, it relates to the story sure fair enough uh, well, I was looking at how the Amish and the men I would live I'm looking at them like yeah. they, they're, they're not relying on the government for electricity everything they're making is more homemade they got storage units they got mason jars worth of food and I realized eating food out that mason jar is much healthier than eating out of the canned goods that's in go. the stu- inside of a uh, food store because the difference is that mason jar is air shut tight and made with naturalness. When it comes to the canned goods, it's more manufacturing made. And it has me thinking like, now I see why the Amish and the Mennonite in their own community itself is thriving, but they don't flaunt their wealth. They sure. teach their wealth. Sure, very well. That, when I, I look that. at the other communities, I'm looking at like, Hmm, someone's just now learning about their financial literacies. This person's just now learning how to file their own taxes. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, why are people making it a responsibility for the schools to teach us when it's just start at home or the people in your community? Fair enough. Because we can't always depend on the school board to look out for the church children's message because some of them don't even got children that live in that school district. Yeah. Or... They don't have no interest besides trying to be a person who has just 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 being putting themselves out there. But there are some people who serve on school boards and city council that do care about their communities and want to go out, go above and beyond just their normal hours. Yeah. And ultimately, when I look at how people were living differently, I, I became curious, like, how come something wasn't passed down to me from the previous generations? But I realized that's a result of growing up in a single parent household. Mm. And I explained this in my autobiography that the government was giving two different messages. They were telling the African Americans and colored people, you can have your women's rights. We'll give you these benefits of welfare and all this other stuff, but you can't have a man in the house. And you look at what's going on now, not a lot of men are in their houses because yeah. that message was planted inside their mind at the cost of women's rights. But some people were able to give around and say, well, we'll have our women's rights, but we're still going to be married, not depend on your benefits. Mm. But then they were telling the European people, we'll give you your rights, but we want to encourage you to further your education. We want to further, further your, make sure you go to a trade school and everything else. You see how the two messages, messages were not... Two different messages. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
and we and I grew up in that message of someone saying, "Oh, it's okay not to have a man," but that wasn't always the case. Sure, it's just sometimes relationships don't work because it goes back to again with a person's mental health and wellness, where they're not taking care of their past wounds, traumas, scars, and other stuff because they end up carrying that stuff with them mentally. Because not everything that's baggage is uh, luggage you take on the Southwest airline and your second bag's free. Yeah. <laughs> it's the mental stuff because it's like, yeah. it's a matter of on the individual level wanting to do the work. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking back, you mentioned a couple of things. You said, uh, you mentioned people putting themselves out there, uh, people being of service. And, and I kind of look at you like that's what you're doing in a way. I've, I've I'm look when I'm looking you up and, and researching you, I did notice that you are putting yourself out there and you are of service. Um, you also mentioned a, a single parent household. I'm assuming you you were raised by your mother. Yes. So do you this this environment of uh, not having your father there? You're a single parent household. You have this experience firsthand. Did that help? build you to be of service the the experience of watching your mother by chance or no or uh, I'll say a combination of yes and no is like again and again it's like yeah there you go okay yeah. I'm spending more time with one parent than the other or because someone is not there yeah but at the same time I don't know the reason why someone's there because I realize some men get pushed away and some women use a child is a pawn to get at a man emotionally. Mm. Okay. And it's happened before. And eventually you do it. If, if you do that to a smart man, he'll just document, document, bring an eyewitness. And then when it's time for a uh, renewal of the child support, he'll tell the judge, Hey, she's been violating your orders. Here's my documents. And here's my eyewitness statements. And that's when a woman can't hide behind, you know, speaking a certain language. Yeah. You got to tell the truth. And if this judge, if the judge find that true, he can reverse the custody gotcha. and put that person on child support. But from my experiences, it's basically, I just got to be keeping 100. I'm no, not going to hide anything. Yeah, no, go for uh, it. My dad was using drugs and okay. alcohol. Well, at the same time, my mom was not exactly choosing healthy men. Okay. And I realized some of these choices go back to their past. Sure. Going back to my grandparents. And I also realized, uh, let's see, my mom and dad, no, my mom's parents, they stayed together until, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away when I was young. Okay. Then when it comes to my dad's parents, and it goes back to ancestry, because before I did the ancestry, I thought it was just, you know, a one night thing, but it turns out they were actually married. Your parents? No, not my parents. Oh, my dad's parents. They were me. actually okay. married. Okay, I got you. And then filed for divorce. When I found out through answer, I'm like, whoa, my dad didn't tell me this. Yeah. And then I found out later that, you know, things didn't work out for whatever reason. And ultimately, I realized my dad, I'm experiencing the same thing he went through growing up in a single parent household as well. Yeah. Do you do you have did you have a relationship with your father? You say that he, it my was, dad didn't tell me that, so I'm assuming you had it, a relationship. It was, but it wasn't. It's like I saw him here, saw him there, but it just wasn't a consistent thing. Gotcha. gotcha. I don't know his side of the story. I just know by different other people is that hey, uh, he wanted to sometimes be there, and sometimes he didn't. It's just you 
you got you got to be consistent, but at the same time, I realize it takes two parents to make things work. Yeah. Um, but I did try reaching out to him when I got older, but he ignored my letter, ignored my request in person. Mm. Then there was another person who did speak to him, and he told me he, my dad didn't want that talk. And then many years later, after giving the testimony at a church, my dad was the trustee and the right-hand man, the pastor, and a member. And he was sitting right next to him, like, we usually do church service, not in the pews, but in the back, like, high up. And, you know, the pastor was impressed with my testimony. But unfortunately, my dad wasn't there for some reason. He wasn't there for that. No. Uh, I'm not going to go into the reason, but I didn't believe it. Um, what I can say moving forward, you know, I felt good and everything. I told this one person everything went good. He said, well, your dad wasn't there. Wait, wait, wait. Let's back up, Ethan. He's a member of the church. I said, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I encourage you to ask the pastor to speak to him twice. No, oh, no. I encourage you to ask the pastor to mediate. Yeah. And at first I didn't want to do it because I feel like somebody wasn't going to do it. But he kept encouraging me, encouraging me, and finally I did do it. And the pastor said, yeah, I'll do it. And then the pastor told me, oh, I spoke to him two times, and he doesn't want to do it. And eventually I realized it's not worth trying to have try to have a conversation with someone when they're blowing you off. Sure. But then I'll go into this story once we get to there. Uh, as far as my mom, it's like a situation where, let's see, she already had my brother. We got different dads. Okay. And then I'm born, then she has two more children with a man she was cohabitating with. He ended up becoming my stepfather, but eventually I did have a conversation with him. He said things don't work out. So now my mom's a single parent of four. Oh, four. Okay, so there's four of you. Yeah, and then sometime later she becomes a single parent of five, and then eventually my brother becomes an adult. Gotcha. When you... um. Well, there's a lot there. One of the things I take away from, and I have my own experiences, you know, with with my with my father. The the um, one of the things I can relate to is the wanting to kind of like you. I want to have this conversation, um, and you you obviously you put the work in, but your father continued to disregard it and turn it down. How old were you when you finally said, oh, I can't put energy into that anymore? That's not an easy thing to do. Uh, probably in my 20s. Uh, yeah. It just got to the point where I'm thinking, first I realized this guy checked out mentally before he checked out physically because the signs and symptoms are already there going back to my childhood. Okay. And then I also realized, why should I keep doing initiating everything when he's the biological He's the father. Yeah. He should be leading, yeah. taking the lead. He should be the one that this conversation should have been done years ago. Yeah. But then I also realized, I looked at different books that people who didn't get that conversation with their fathers compared to those who did. And it has its pros and cons to it. Like, for example, it's like there's some people want to have a conversation at the 11th hour, but like, you know, if someone's on their deathbed or certain illness, but it's just not believable because you're only saying this because... That guilt yeah, and all that stuff. But when you were healthy, uh, you made a conscious choice. Is that something you felt like you, is the, is the door closed in that regard for you? I'd or? say for now, yes, because it's just, I can't keep opening up something. Yeah. 
without somebody coming coming through. Yeah. And I'll get into that story more once I once we talk about the book. But Absolutely. I'll just say in conclusion, yeah, I wasn't I had a victim mindset growing up, but it took the right people to come into my life to allow me to look at things much differently. Like football coaches, wrestling coaches, track coaches. Uh let's see, there's Clyde Brown the second. It was very instrumental when I was going in high school with that transition from Coastal to Lancaster. Gotcha. And then just be willing to like look at different like relationships where there's some people who did have their father living with them, but didn't have a relationship, have a healthy relationship. But then I also see some people who do have healthy relationships with their fathers and everything's consistent across the board and I see that model of that's the model I need to follow not the model that was shown to me that wasn't right yeah I think that takes a lot of growth and maturity though to even recognize that there because um, there's so many different ways that you could have handled that or interpreted there's so many different ways that your younger self could have interpreted the lack of your father being in your life it could have changed the direction of your life but here you are you're you're very steadfast and you're locked in and you keep referring to your book. So let's let's really get into that. And, and obviously, let's talk about um, what brought you to the point of, of writing your book. You were in a big accident about yeah. 11 years ago. Yes. Is that fair? Yes. 2011, right? Um, and it was so big that you weren't expected to survive. Um, and one of the things I was reading, it, the, the numbers I keep seeing, obviously, are 99%, 1%. There was a 1% chance that you had of survival, um, um, but you survived. Is this is this something that when we talk about the dynamic of your your upbringing and the, the experiences you had with your parents, was this moment in your life a, a, sh- a shift that helped focus you on a, on, a, on a different type of path that you may have already been on prior? Prior to the car accident, um, let's see. Uh, let's see. It is true. You know, I had a 99% chance versus 1% chance. Yeah. You can look at it as percentages or fraction, and the odds were against me. Yeah. And, you know, that 99% rate was higher than the divorce rate. Someone dropping out of college, high school, winning the lottery, <laughs> or having an insurance premium go up. But that 1% was so small, it was like a mustard seed. Yeah. And I do talk about it in the book where, let's see, before the car accident, basically I was with Jordan Steffi, basically just being in his program. And basically, you know, after we helped sell a certain amount of Deuce, watch, Deuce brand watches at Media Heights Golf Club, we exceed the expectations. Everyone in the crowd was there. We go to leave as far as with me and certain people. Yeah. Last time I remember seeing is the Hess gas station on Route 30. Then I don't know if the, um, that, I forgot that one Italian place, the Olive Garden was there or not. I just remember passing that. And next thing you know, I wake up sometime later in the ICU unit at Lakeshore General Hospital. Oh, wow. Tubes in my chest. Black left eye, lost all this weight, lost all this blood. I got IVs in one one arm. Nobody's telling me nothing yeah. besides giving me a newspaper. And then next you know, someone 
breaks it to me like, whoa. I'm like, you serious? That's why I'm here? Yeah. And uh, they're like, yeah, that's what happened. And basically, I thought I was the only guy in the situation. But it turns out it was other people involved. Unfortunately, you know, two people passed away. Yeah. One person, you know, got injured. Another person wasn't as injured, just more of a mental thing. Sure. The reason why I was in that predicament because I was behind the driver. Okay. And that's that's the position where I was in the car. Um, the impact was on the driver's side? Yeah, because he went from one lane to the other lane. And he ran into an 18-wheeler. Okay. Wow. That explains a lot then. Yeah. And you, when you said that you, one minute you're looking at a Hess gas station or a, an Olive Garden and the next... You're waking up in the ICU. How long were you? Do you remember how long you were unconscious for in, in that regard? Uh, I think it was a combination of being unconscious, the concussion. Sure. The medicine, which was put me on cloud nine. <laughs> and then. Rightfully so. You were in a tremendous amount of pain, I'm sure. And then and then just the fact that, you know, some people said I was being funny while I was cloud nine awake, but not in the conscious state. I'm like, did I really say that? Are you sure? <laughs> but then reality hits of this actually happened. And yeah. The journey was long. It's like one thing to survive the car accident, the miracles done. One person told me a nurse was crying, thinking I died after the surgery was performed. Wow. And then the next day she goes back to work. She gets the news that I'm a walking living miracle because I woke up. You weren't, they, they didn't expect you to wake up after the surgery. No, it's just 99% yeah. versus 1% because the risk, the surgery was high risk, but at the same time, uh, I should have passed away while I was in the car accident. Mm. Should have passed away on the ambulance ride. Should have passed away on arrival, but it just didn't happen. And it wasn't until recently I learned that, uh, well, before I get into it, I'll just say that the injury that caused a 99% chance of me dying is because the, the seatbelt cut into my aorta, which is a blood vessel or that go, that helps the blood flow, and that was causing the problem. Wow. What I found out recently was if they can detect a problem, they can put something on something to prevent the blood flow from going out even faster. Yeah. So that's normally internal bleeding. And, Yeah. I survived the car accident, I can tell you that to this day or many times before, but ultimately, there's more to it. Yeah, it's not just so black and white. It, there, like you said, oh. the journey was long. Oh, yeah, try going to Lancaster Rehabilitation on Good Drive where yeah. I got relearn how to walk, talk. I'm talking about speech therapy. I'm talking about picking up things that people take advantage of. I'm talking about picking up beanbags. Hmm. I'm talking about doing next exercises then there's also wow. oh it's types of therapy there i was in there for about a good month um when you say picking up bean bags learning how to talk the one of the the first thing i'm thinking of is were, were you were you aware that these were steps you needed to take and mentally you were you were able to think these things, but physically you couldn't do it? Or was it just an overall, a slow process with everything, comprehending the words as you're trying to speak? A combination of both. It, yeah. was a, it was the doctor's recommendation that he's going to therapy. He's not getting released home just yet. Yeah. 
And it's just, when you suffer a concussion sometimes, and then go through something that dramatic, and your body, like, in more survival mode, mm. it's like things just are acting differently. And I'll make a long story short, you know, it was a process with a capital P. Yeah. Because, hey, I can still read, but the, how I sound out the words just wasn't the same. Gotcha. It's like, I'm like, what's going on here? What happened to my flow? What happened to my motor skills? And that reset button hit. Yeah. It's not It's not like you do reset on the computer and everything gets rebooted back up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were already in your 20s at the time of the accident, yeah. so you were already a young adult established with these motor skills. You already had adapted routines in life and the way you said and did things. And that was snatched from you. You had to relearn everything. Um, that When you say it was a process with a capital P, and one of the things I'm thinking of is there was a lot of patience, I'm sure, with a, with a capital P. That was, was that frustrating for you to be that patient with yourself? Oh, yeah. I was more patient than a man <laughs> waiting inside the maternity ward for his child or twins <laughs> or quadruplets. <laughs> that takes a lot, I'm sure, man. One of the things that I appreciated uh, while meeting Ethan for the first time, talking to him, was uh, how much thought he puts into things. He really likes to break things down and dissect it and figure out, learn why. The multiple levels that there are, he's intrigued by it. You can uh, tell just by listening to the first half of the interview, his his wanting to understand uh, the process of why people put uh, in, uh, things into their body or things onto their body that is not good for them that can cause skin cancer, for example. Um, the ancestry venture that he's been going through or he had gone through at that time just to figure out who he is and who his family is, you know, the absence of his father um, and the, the re- relationship that he witnessed between his mom and his dad how that um how that really triggered him to want to seek the answers to his questions if you read his book which i I encourage you all to do so um he does talk about this in detail uh the absence of his father um uh you know stepfathers that come in and the things that he's witnessed and the things that he really felt maybe a child shouldn't be witnessing, it really, I feel, pushed him to find out what's going on with his family and who his family is. Uh, the second half of this conversation gets even better, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, we start wrapping up the experience of the accident and go into uh, physical therapy and how that was for him and how patient he had to be for that. And we start talking about the book that he's writing, the process and, and how that started. And we start talking about other things like marriage or relationships and his opinion, his thoughts on it. Uh, he's a really deep thinker. And uh, I, I look forward to presenting the rest of this conversation to you. So nonetheless, let's just get this ball on the roll, as they say, or let's just get this show on the road. As they say, I don't even think I made sense with either one of those metaphors. But anyway, second half coming right to you. There's more to the journey. Like I remember like it was yesterday. I'm in eating lunch. The first thing I do is chew on a banana. And next thing you know, it won't go down. I'm like, what's going on? And then wow. one of the people caught it. And then they 
told her supervisor that next thing you know, I'm going back in the ambulance ride back to Lincoln General Hospital. Are you this when did this happen? It happened while I was at rehab. Oh, okay. So you were in rehab when you started choking on a banana. Yeah, it wouldn't go down, and then they had me text. They had me taste this chalky stuff, then they're doing x-rays in my necks. While everything's going on, they realize, oh, my larynx is paralyzed. Wow. Because the EMT people put the tube too far down my throat. Wow. And because of that, that's part of the reason why I was slowing down my smoker speech skills. And then... Because I couldn't eat anything, I had to be put on a feeding tube. Wow. And that was humbling to the point where the only thing I could do is maybe suck on a lollipop. Mm. But if I were to try to eat anything, like food or drink a solid liquid, the consequences are pneumonia. Wow. And pneumonia is nothing to play with. No, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, you can have all the antibiotics you want, but it's gonna be that's gonna make the recovery process even longer. That's gonna cause a setback. Yeah. And boy, I remember like yesterday, I'm just skin and bones, feeding tube in me, and it's like, whoa. And I remember, you know, the pastor came in, then the chaplain came in. He's praying for me, and then he asked me, Ethan, what were you praying for? I told him, I'm praying to eat a bucket of chicken. <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> yeah. And basically, make a long story short, you know, it took, I think, five months. Wow. Sure. Yeah, it could have been longer if I didn't be persistent with getting second opinions from a different ear, nose, and throat doctor. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to do whatever I can to pass the test. Yeah. And I was just persistent and persistent. And I made the phone calls. I made the emails. And it just got to the point where finally I did pass it. Then I took the ear, the chalky substance again. And they said, all right, you're good now. And then they told me to start off eating soft foods. Then medium soft, then solids. And next thing you know, it's I'm ready to eat, and then I remember the day like it was yesterday where I finally made the doctor's appointment to get the feeding tube pulled. Oof. He said he's going to pull on the count of two. He said one, two, and then he pulled on two. Mm. I was curled up like in the fetal position for a while. Like, mm. whoa, that just My happened. My God, yeah, that's got to be, I have no idea what that feels like. I can only imagine. And then finally, uh, everything sealed up eventually over time, and I was Eat, going out to eat, people went from feeling bad for me to take me out to eat. <laughs> so the the when you said it took five months to finally get to that point, how long was it until when you started eating? How long did it take for you to finally get to those foods that were tough it, at one point? It took a month because it's just, okay. it's like, I'll put it this way. When I wasn't eating, my mouth was drooling more than a dog. Wow. I had to sleep with a uh, a towel underneath my mouth. Wow. Because that's how whatever it was, it wasn't that I, was, I intentionally was teasing myself. It's just, yeah, that's what was just going on. Yeah. And then eventually, once my body started getting used to the foods, instead of depending on that liquid going through a feeding tube, that was an adjustment. Then eventually, I started gaining strength, 
start gaining weight. Yeah. And eventually start eating. As far as how this book came about, like I always wanted to write a book. I, my original idea was just do poetry. Yeah. But as I researched it, poetry doesn't make that much money unless you're well known and got the right marketing team. And I remember like it was yesterday during COVID, this family mentioned, oh, you should write an autobiography. Yeah. I didn't want to do it because I wasn't ready to put the V of being vulnerable gotcha. all over again. And that's not an easy thing to do either. And then the thought process of what put all this into one whole book. They kept encouraging me, encouraged me, and eventually I gave in and got the process started. Um, I just want to thank the following people for writing forwards for my book. Uh, my cousin Ivan C. Bookard III, Dr. Catherine Garcia, who works at Syracuse University, Dr. Stacey Irvin, who works at Mills University, Jan Janetsky, who works in Fleetwood, Michigan, then of course, my former football and track coach, and I have a special relationship with not only him, but also his family, Coach Matt Ortega, Dr. Teresa Russell Loretz. She is in charge of the com the communication program for communication and theater at Mills University. Then Alyssa, who recently graduated from Penn State University. She was an amazing student athlete and for field hockey, basketball, and track at Penn Manor High School. And of course, Christina Watt-Lington, PhD, former alum of Franklin Marshall College. So you got a big community surrounding you. Here. Yeah. Then I got to give a shout out to the back, the people who wrote the back cover reviews. Dante S. McLeod. He's an alumni of Mills University and Roman Catholic High School of Philadelphia, PA. And then, of course, the sports announcer that everybody knows, Dave Berman, alumni of York of College and Strathaven High School. There you go. So the, the support that you've had, I mean, uh, can, we, can we just talk about the, I mean, uh, when you said the V and vulnerable, uh, being vulnerable, like I mentioned, isn't easy. You finally have the courage to, to put um, your your life in this book. Um, and then you have like this tribe, this community of friends and family that are, are supporting you along the way. That's That has to be an overwhelming feeling of, of well, gratitude, excitement. Yes, uh, it's just... I looked at books, I researched it, and I'll make a long story short. I remember when I was in the beginning process, word started spreading around to different publishers. And one time they contacted me and said, is it true, Ethan, that you're working on your manuscript for your autobiography about your stories of Welcome to the Milk? I said, yes. Well, we're going to send you this contract over. And they sent me this contract to email. Everything looked good on paper. So I wanted to question them. They said everything, you know, seemed good. based on how they responded. But the thing that was a deal breaker was they said if I were to sign with them and if they had to choose my story for a movie, they would own the lion's share of rights to the movie <laughs> and the soundtrack. And I realized I can't do business with them. Yeah. Then I realized in the future I could probably do what Dr. Dre, Eminem, and 50 Cent did, where they create their own movie. Yes. And soundtrack 
And that's when I realized I didn't know someone saw a multi-million dollar deal and me. And we haven't even shaken hands or had a cup of tea. But then I'm also aware that, you know, Hollywood might come around. Maybe Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels. You never know. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, in my research of this book, I realized I was better off self-publishing because some of the publishing deals they were trying to offer just wasn't good. Like, this is my story. This is what I put into it, and you're just not coming in the back end. Yeah. And not only do you want to make money just by me paying you just to do certain things, from the copyrights, the ISB numbers, the barcodes, book cover design for the front, spine, and back, and the page margins, and the editing of yeah. several rounds, and all the little intricate details, but you also want to make money off of me every time I buy the book through you, and for every book that is downloaded or bought online. Sure. And I'm thinking, you're trying to make money off of me for the duration of the contract. Yeah. And I realized, why not just be my own self-publisher? And um, that's when Bob Paul came and my mentor suggested do self-publishing. And I realized, I got to learn what a publisher does in order to adapt to that. Yeah. And when I looked at that first contract that someone sent me, I realized this this could be my blueprint. There you go. Absolutely. I'm already looking at professional standards. <laughs> and basically, that's what I did. And along the process, I decided, instead of, you know, a traditional book goes with one forward, maybe two at the most, I went with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight forwards. Yeah. Because I realized I just want to go all out and ha- allow other people to speak. Yeah. And stand out from the rest. Yeah. Uh, the title of my book is called The Inspirational Story of Ethan A. Poetic, Chronicles of Adversity, Education, Sports, Relationships, and Resiliency. I came up with that title myself because it is inspirational. This is about me as far as my whole name. And it does, my the book covers a lot of the chronicles that I mentioned because I am a former student athlete. I do have a lot of relationships. I did, I am educated. I did go through a lot of adversities, both things that happened and things that were choices of other people that affected me. Not that I was responsible for that. And then eventually, you know, I overcame the 99% chances of death versus 1% chance of life. So that's when the resiliency comes in. Yeah. Uh, But ultimately, the book was a process took patience as well because I ended up had to hire my own editor, hire my own book, cover designer, and took patience waiting for these forwards to come in and being persistent and back cover reviews were much easier. Yeah. To get. And just trusting the process of do I really want to be a self publisher? And then one day I end up getting invited by this guy named Chandler Bolt to attend his seminar and he went over how to be a self-publisher. <laughs> there you go. And from there, it was just, I saw myself doing it, take charge and did, did this more as a side project off and on. There was times where I had to tell people I can't be with you. Yeah. I got to focus on this. Yeah. So there's a lot that you're learning here. 
and taking the risk to do it on your own, self-publishing. I mean, you did the research and you, you were looking things up and that's how you learned and caught on to the fact that they were going to, you know, uh, capitalize on your story when they just came in on the back end. So you decided, I'm going to do this on my own. But And it sounds like there's so much that you're doing. Do you ever get to the point where you're like, yeah, man, this is a lot more than what I thought it was going to be? Or, or are you just constantly hungry and you just keep grinding at it? Both? Yeah. I didn't realize, for example, when it came to writing the manuscript, I had to adjust the page margins. Yeah. And luckily, Ingram Sparks detected that. Then there was a time where they detected something was something needed to be adjusted with the spine in order to come out. And then I was still determined crossing the finish line because it's on me. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm the, my face is on this cover, the front and the back. This is my name. I gotta make sure it's done all the way, or else uh, that first impression with potential readers, educators. People around the world might not be good, but I want to make it as best as possible. Uh, you know, people in the background who contribute with their forewords, the back cover review, and all the other stuff. But I realized that when you see yourself crossing the finish line and starting your project or a race, you got to realize everything's a process, like how a woman goes to birth. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she announces she's pregnant. Now, between... The child growing inside of her, you know, the process is her eating habits changing, moods, and you know, you know, sometimes it's different for getting the ultrasound. Yeah. But eventually the journey becomes nowadays people do gender reveals. Yeah. Yeah. They're really wild nowadays. (laughs) Yes. It gave me some ideas for when I have my own kids. There you go. But but ultimately, anything you do, whether it's become a homeowner, a business owner, or marriage, or dating, you got to really research the situation before you put yourself in the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I can say with dating, it's just more complicated now to where people were having higher expectations of the other person than the, of themselves. Yeah, and ain't that the thing? It's like nobody really wants to think about that. And I like yeah. the way you put it. The people have higher expectations of other people rather than higher expectations of themselves. Um, it, when, when you, when you bring up is dating, is that something that you've been cognizant of with, with how busy you are in your entrepreneurial endeavors? Is it, uh, is it, do you keep that off to the side or what? All I can say is I did ask this one woman, I'll give you two different stories. I did ask this one woman on a date. You know, the polite way to turn somebody down and say, no, thank you. Yeah. But I also understand from some women's perspective of you turn a man and tell him down no. Based on some of their experiences, a man may take rejection the wrong way because he already saw himself going on a date with the woman before she even officially saw herself going on a date with him. Gotcha. Yeah. The problem I had in that situation was, oh, she turned me down. Here comes this whole stretch out speech of offering friend zone. Yeah. Offering to be a cheerleader. And then this whole, I'm not looking to date right now. What you're really saying is you're not looking to date me right now. Mm. And then all this extra stuff. I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, 
I don't need to know all that extra stuff yeah. because that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're stretching out my courage yeah. much, much, much more than usual. You're right. But also see from the other side of perspective where us men are, are, are guilty of certain things as well. Well, we have this good woman who's down for us. I'm talking about, you know, we want to do certain things such as certain, you know, Pick up your dry cleaning, help fold your laundry, may may stop by and cook you breakfast in the morning before you go to work. And I saw in the movie, you know, why I get married, the guy, you know, was thinking, okay, we get 80% of the things we want from our, you know, our spouse or significant other, the person we're dating. But somebody's always curious to know, what's it like to get the 20%? Yeah. So the guy ruined his marriage got the woman who offered the 20% but then you're missing the 80% yeah and I come to realize regardless of how much percentage percentage you're getting from somebody negotiations and compromise can happen it's a matter of just asking yourself what is it about the extra stuff you're trying to get is it pride ego or what, whatever the root issue yeah, is. Yeah. And then I come to the conclusion is why not be more appreciative of the person you wants to give give of their time? Yeah. Resources. Cause that woman can always be with somebody else. Yeah. Somebody who might not be like, why don't you come home to be more affectionate and all this other stuff? But I also realize certain foundations are not always found the right reason. Cause I read this book called by Dr. Jerry. Gary Chapman called the five love languages. Yes. That book is very instrumental in dating because like if we were to go out in a forest fire and we're, you know, making stones and the fire goes out, normally, you know, for that camp situation, you get lighter floor, you get a match and like the fire back up. What Dr. Gary Chapman was teaching in his book is how to keep that flame going continuously. Yeah. Like if you start doing someone's love language, they might be more reciprocal to come home. Yeah. They might more be more reciprocal like for a man that makes your knowledge your car wash or gas vacuum. Why want to make sure it's detailed? Yeah. And then it could be a situation where a woman might think, I need to spend more time with my man instead of having this girl's night out. Yeah. But also the key thing I realized while having all these conversations is uh a person from work don't want to hear all this criticism or critique. I believe those types of conversations are more best said during date night. Mm. Where you're more in a subtle environment where you're going to be on your best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually you're going to understand each other's differences while having a bite to eat or drink. But ultimately, uh, everyone... I'll just say that in any marriage or dating situation, you got to communicate. I can say some people think people can read their minds, but we're not mind readers. Yeah, we're not. Nobody is. Yeah. I learned in my uh, job, I learned to look at certain, I'm not going to say certain people. I just say look at body language, body cues, and how people communicate because not everyone speaks the same. My meaning of pizza may be different from your pizza. 
Yeah. Like, for example, I'm lactose intolerant. I learned to make my pizza at home. Gotcha. So I know how to make the, the yeast and all that other stuff. Instead of using traditional bar, um, traditional tomato sauce, I'll use barbecue sauce, add some pineapple, chicken, maybe some ground turkey, and make sure the, uh, the baking pan has cornmeal on it. Therefore, I get a nice crust. Yeah. Someone else's definition of pizza might be pineapple pizza, but with cheese, or they might want a Hawaiian pizza or anything else, or somebody might want like a calzone or anything. Yeah. So my whole my whole point is the whole dating situation is just, I believe it's best to start small. Like, why take someone out for lunch or dinner? We can ask them, let's just have a cup of tea. Yeah. Or, or, or coffee. That way you're in the single digits, not the double digits. Like that, yeah, I like that. And you know all this other stuff. Um, Put a lot of thought into things, dude. Well, I had to because I'm not trying to lose half of everything. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I learned from other people's lessons. Like number one, I understand the prenups are becoming more popular than ever. Yeah, because a man's got to protect his finances because. He's already given up his net last name, but I know in the Puerto Rican culture we use two last names, but with a hyphen. Oh yeah, that's true. Then I also realized some women who put themselves in a good good situation, they want to make sure they protect their investments as well. Absolutely. And that's when those honest conversations should be discussed during date night. <laughs> so. Honest conversations should be discussed during date night. You heard it here. Ethan Poetic is suggesting date night be the 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 groundbreaking, the the, the even even playing field for uh, said conversations to take place. Is that fair? Yeah, it's like for example, if an argument breaks out in your home, well, you know you're gonna you know grow apart, but eventually. You're gonna meet back to with each other. Yeah, it's but just it, don't have an argument with someone else's because they're gonna uh, show you the door. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah. or, my, or, or they're having an argument at your house, they might break something <laughs> and say, "Oh, I had a temper tantrum. I'm, I'm pretty sure you forgive me, but I don't know about paying for that visa." <laughs> but I do like the, con- the 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 idea of having those conversations date night. You're outside of your home when you kind of want to get things cleared up, squash any type of misunderstandings, talk things out while you're having a drink, something to eat so that when you come back home, you guys are on a, on a much better, um, understanding with one another. And I, and I, I like that concept. So I can appreciate that. Uh, one of the things that I like to discuss, um, to wrap up my interviews with all my guests and I'm really interested in, and you kind of already hinted this already is, is, is what you're doing now and where you plan on going in the next five years. What's the game plan here for Ethan Poetic? You've already got a book now, that an autobiography. You hinted at screenplays. You hinted at movies. Is this is that something that you're thinking of, that you're being cognizant of in your future? Yes, because I look at the movie Pressures. I look at the movie The Blind Side. Almost the Harvard and many other movies. Those movies were based on books, yeah, novels, autobiographies. I realized I can do that myself. And by having access to the cameras, 
and different technology and forming your own team, it can happen. It can make it work. It's just a matter of planning on a step-by-step process and eventually having the funds to do it independently. Yeah. Because I don't want no commercial or political influences in my, in my story because I'm the guy who experienced it on the front lines. Yeah. I'm going to tell it the best way possible. Now, the other people who are, you know, survived the car accident, they have, the you know, different interpretations of what they can say as far as what they experience and move forward. What I mean, my situation much different is that now that I survive and overcome the other stuff, there's also more things I had to survive that I talk about in the book. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just hint, you know, it's usually this quote I remember, the people you be around the most is who you're likely to become. Absolutely. Like, for example, if you're struggling in math, why not be around the people who are better than you in math? Now, that influence is going to rub off on you in a good way. Therefore, you're going to be better at math. Yeah. Well, if you're being around someone who's doing drugs and alcohol, eventually you might have a memory that goes back to thinking, oh, wow, I don't like how that feels. I don't know how to process this. Let me drink this down. But eventually the alcohol becomes the medicine. Now someone's self-medicating and unfortunately it leads to consequences. Uh, but, I, but I have an honest, very honest uh, approach in my book where I talk about some very intricate things that are very transformational. It has turn back moments. It has, you know, some tears of joy and some scenes where you're like, did that really happen to you while you're in this state or that situation? Yeah. And I, I just say it happened based on my, not only just in my experience, but something I lived. And when I mean lived, I'm talking about I'm at this location I'm in present time and I'm not just existing. I like that. And then furthermore, it's just, as I said, the chronicles of adversities, education, sports, relationship, and resiliency. That's already giving you a inside scoop of you, the reader or you, the future listener. Yeah. It's going to end up listening to because the audio version is going to be available through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Nice. So hopefully that situation gets done really, really soon. Because I'm going to have a distribution deal through ACX. Okay. And they're the most popular. There's others, but just just didn't compare to the um, the deal I can get with them. I hear you. And, you know, just this book is very near and dear to me. And a lot of kids already like it. And, you know, they're going to know a whole different side of Ethan they never saw before. So when that car accident happened and all this recovery was going on, it happened way before they were born. Yeah. A good majority of them, the ones who were of age around that time, and look at me now like, wow, you have come a long way. You have not only climbed mountains, you climbed Mount Everest, went down and climbed another one because it's quote I remember the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next so keep climbing absolutely and it's not that I don't become complacent it's just I learned not to settle for less cause I could my original plan was not the right autobiography my plan was just to go to work okay. go to college yeah 
But eventually, life has a way of taking me out of my comfort zone. Uh, some of the achievements that I did have was making the front page of the newspaper April 1st, 2021. Featured on WGAL with that story. Yep. I could do a presentation and a book sign day at the same time. It's just a matter of uh, contacting me on my website, ethanspeaks.com, and you'll see wonderful pictures, the link to buy my book through Amazon, and you'll get a chance to really communicate with me on a direct level, whether it's through email, text, or video chat. Um... But the more important thing to remember about my story is that it's not meant to have you feel sorry for me. It's meant to have you feel inspired. Because if I'm trying to have you feel sorry for me, I'm, I feel like I'm starting a pity party. Yeah. When I try to inspire you, you can look at my situation and say, okay, he overcame that. Right. And did so much more. Maybe I need to do some more in my life inspire somebody else and inspire the next person next to me. Now you start a chain reaction of more positive energy and vibes. That's the whole premise of the podcast that I'm doing is like helping, uh, sharing stories of different people so that we can all learn from one another, but also feel inspired to be like, Hey, look, if, uh, Ethan did this, then I, then I, I believe that I can do, this and and so it's just a matter of sharing that positivity um the commitment the drive that you've had the just sitting here talking with you the last hour or two um you know i i genuinely appreciate um you coming and sharing the story because i and like i like i started off in the beginning of the interview i said i know this isn't the first time that you've discussed this and i know that many people know your story but it wouldn't hurt to just continue sharing uh, what it is you're doing because you're not asking for any pity or if anything you are uh, sharing your story because you believe that uh, overcoming adversity um, should be shared now there's a lot of people going through whatever adversity in life that they're going through but when you see somebody um, just get through that hump that 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 underdog mentality that everybody can root for that and so uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to following you on social media and I'm going to, in the description of this episode, I'm going to put all of these links for you, um, your website, your handles, um, uh, in case anybody wants to reach out to you um, and they're listening to this, email, uh, to this episode, all that contact information will be there for the listener. Um, because I just, I, I love what you're doing and I, I really would like to, get as much eyes on on and help get as much eyes as I, as as you need on your on your endeavors yeah um, i know what help if the readers help me become a near best sign seller yeah or help me at least be on the Oprah book club there oh that's always a goal right you, you gotta is, oh, is that yeah. still a thing is, is yes this? because you help if you the readers help me achieve that goal you know i gotta upgrade the Soft cover design with with, a, with with different seals. There you go. Okay, so there's the goal. So if you're listening right now, please, not only uh, do we want you to, to listen and read uh, to Ethan Poetic Story, but we want to make it New York Times bestseller. We want to get on Oprah Winfrey's book club. That is a priority for Mr. Ethan Poetic. Um, 
I'm going to wrap this up by thanking you, sir. Thank you very much. Again, I know this is our first time meeting, uh, but you drove all the way out here. And uh, thank you for what you're doing. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the Journeyman Chronicles. You're very welcome. Thanks for allowing me in your home. Thanks for reaching out to me and allowing us to take place. Absolutely. That's it, brother. Can you come down here and take a picture of us? Well, that is episode 55. I hope you all enjoyed it. Ethan, thank you so much for joining me at my home, discussing your journey. I wish you nothing but more success, more and more levels of success. You deserve it, my friend. Thank you again. If anybody's interested in purchasing a book, The Inspiring Story of Ethan A. Poetic, you can go to his website at ethanspeaks.com. You can also get a consultation. You can also hit him up. There's a lot of different things that Ethan's doing right now. Feel free to reach out, find out how he can help you. This is a motivating story. It's an inspiring story. I think he's the perfect guy for it. So once again, Ethan, thank you for joining me on the Journeyman Chronicles. Coming up next week, I get to speak to my friend Micaiah Ravel again. If you remember last year, I spoke with Micaiah Ravel, but it was through Zoom. You know, COVID really shook things up. So I needed him back on the podcast this time in person to talk about the uh, the story that he is finally wrapping up in a way, the amnesty that he was finally granted here in the United States after 20 years. So he stopped by and we chopped it up. That's next week on the Journeyman Chronicles. Until then, I hope you all continue doing what you're loving. Stay safe, take care of others, and please, most importantly, take care of yourself. Remember to maintain focus and stay continuous through all four seasons. My name is Felix C. Arroyo. I am the Journeyman, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Y'all be safe.